1 Samuel chapter 23. I've been asked the question, where, where do you go? Are you going to preach something different? If you've been with us at Grace Covenant Church, we've been working through the book of Samuel. And um, I was reminded from the Apostle Paul, and I wanted to remind each of us, we've looked at this a few times as we've worked through this particular study. In Romans chapter 15, verse 4, we hear these words. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And as I was digging into God's word where we find ourselves in 1 Samuel chapter 23, I pray that, that the Lord would speak powerfully through his word this morning. I didn't have a sermon title, I just wrote in there for Charlene, 1 Samuel 23, but was asked this morning what it should be, and um, I think as we look at this passage, the title, The Woods of Ziph, will be appropriate. And so please follow along as I read from God's word. So David's been on the run from Saul. And now they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men, remember he had hundreds of men around him, his men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord again. And the Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. When Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, had fled to David to Keilah, he had come down with an ephod in his hand. Now it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah, and Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself, he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. And Saul summoned all the people to war, to go down to Keilah, to besiege David and his men. David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him. And he said to Abiathar, the priest, bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? 
O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. Then David said, Will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will surrender you. Then David and his men, who were about 600, arose and departed from Keilah, and they went wherever they could go. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the expedition. And David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh, and Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul my father also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horesh, and Jonathan went home. Then the Ziphites, Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds at Horesh, on the hill of Hakalah, which is south of Jeshimon? Now come down, O king, according to all your heart's desire to come down, and our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. And Saul said, May you be blessed by the Lord, for you have had compassion on me. Go, make yet more sure. Know and see the place where his foot is, and who has seen him there. For it is told me that he is very cunning. See, therefore, and take note of all the lurking places where he hides, and come back to me with sure information. Then I will go with you. And if he is in the land, I will search, search him out among all the thousands of Judah. And they arose and went to Ziph ahead of Saul. Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in the Arabah to the south of Deshimon. And Saul and his men went to seek him. And David was told, so he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul. And Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them. A messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore, that place was called the Rock of Escape. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of Engedi. Hear the word of the Lord. What we see in this chapter is that God sustains David through even more trials with two great resources, the revelation of his word and the encouragement of a fellow believer. In chapter 22, where we were the last Lord's Day, God had directed David 
through the prophet Gad, if you remember, to return to Judah. Basically coming back into the enemy's camp, so to speak. Saul wanting to kill David. And we were left in chapter 22, not with really much of a description of of why. At the time, there really was no explanation for this order for him to go back into Judah. But the reason becomes known in chapter 23. The Lord was going to use David to save the men or the people of Keilah. Chapter 23 sees David in a particularly difficult stage of his exile, but it's an important one for his own spiritual growth. He is challenged by the Lord in the midst of horrific trials being pursued by King Saul to actually consider the needs of his neighbors, even as he continues to suffer. Now, when you hear the description of Keilah, it's a walled town in the eastern farmlands of Judah. And we're told that it was being besieged by the Philistines who were robbing the threshing floors, which means this was, this was the city's economy. And it was being taken. It was being ruined. And so their very existence was being threatened. And so the news reaches David's ear And it's so important to see how he responds. He first turns to the Lord after hearing that the Philistines are fighting against Keilah. He inquires of the Lord, shall I go and actually attack them, attack the Philistines? And the Lord answers. Now we've read the whole narrative. The Lord answers, yes, I want you to go. David's men are already probably on the edge of breakdown and they're asking we're trying to protect ourselves from Saul and now you're wanting us to go and fight the Philistines so David again turns to the Lord and inquires and the Lord says go Verse 5, and David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David was their savior that very day. As we see David throughout this passage turning to God again and again for a word from him, I want you to make note of that, where In the previous chapter, it was through the prophet Gad that the word of God was coming to David, and David was listening and obeying. Abiathar Abiathar, was now on the scene, a priest of the Lord, who brought the ephod. And if you remember, there was a description earlier on about Uman and Thuman that was stones or some type of something attached to the priest's ephod that would work as um, the Lord's revelation of a yes or a no. Should we go or should we not? The Lord used that means to, to give word to his people. The priests would, would, would inquire of the Lord, and however the, the Uman and Thuman would, would somehow notify either a yes or a no, or there would be no answer. 
And we see the ephod coming to David. And as he's seeking the Lord's help and inquiring, he is, he is doing so over and over again with God's ordained means at this time. First through the prophet and now the priest crying out to the Lord on what he should do. The emphasis is that David is hearing from God. There's a movement away from the, the prophets and the priests from Saul strategically God ordained into the presence of David, the anointed king, so that he would receive God's word. And he responds by walking obediently. God promises to bless those who turn to him for guidance. All of these experiences in David's life, God inspired him by the power of the Spirit to pin so many of the Psalms. David taught in Psalm 19, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Psalm 119, 105, he declared, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word guided David to rescue the people of Keilah. The Lord answered him, arise and go, and David went. Now, I want to just pause for a second. On Wednesday night, we've been working through a Puritan study where there's been some great group discussion discussing some of the, the, the reflection questions about each of the Puritans and their life and ministry and Something was mentioned on Wednesday night from one of our college students as she was reflecting on her own life, noticing that there was a direct correlation between the spiritual valleys that she has experienced and her engagement with God's word. When she was not feasting on God's word, really seeing it as her daily bread, it was a direct correlation to when she experienced distance and valleys in her spiritual walk and what we see with David is that while his circumstances continue to be all over the place he is walking by faith and not by sight and he is in the right place when the word of God is leading him what we see next in our passage verses 7 through 14 is the first act of betrayal in this chapter David has experienced some difficult times. David continues to seek God's word on what he should do as he hears that Saul knows that he's in Keilah, knows that this is a, a walled city, and if you're in that city, you are just sitting prey if, if Saul's going to bring the whole onslaught of his army. David catches wind and he pleads again, inquires with the Lord, what should he do? Is Saul coming? Are the men of Keilah going to surrender him, betray him? He was the one that led his men to save them. And what we see is that God responds, yes, Saul is coming. And yes, they will surrender you to him. I want us to just think about that for a moment, how, how hard 
that word from the Lord must have been for, for David. God, you told me to go and to risk the lives of my men to save this people. And this group of people are now turning on me. What is going on? What we're reminded of in this passage is that we are called to obedience and not guaranteed the results that we want. David listens to God's word. And if you were writing the story out, okay, obedient servant, he goes and does what he's called to do, and it should start to start looking really good, right? And the very people that he saves betray him. We do not love others, serve others, care for others because we think that they will respond in a certain way to us. We do that because God calls us to do that. This is so applicable in all spheres of life. In marriage, you are called, if you are married, to love your spouse regardless of how they respond. As hard as that could be. In your workplace, you are called to be faithful, above reproach, obedient to what God has called you to be, regardless of how your employer or employees respond to you. In every relationship. And this is so difficult because we think if we work out the formula, one plus two has to be this response of fruit and, and peace and goodness. And what we see is it doesn't always work out like that. And yet we're still called to be obedient. Can you imagine the temptation that David must have had at that moment to take matters into his own hands? He had his hundred men who could have gone back and, and wreaked vengeance upon Keilah. And um, one of our brothers, uh, Ted Sally, actually had the opportunity to preach 1 Samuel 22 years ago, and I got to hear his message. And this emphasis was, was made, and it's a good one for us to hear. The mark of a true believer Sounds like this, Romans chapter 12. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. David had to have been wrestling with that temptation of wanting to take matters into his own hands at a moment like this. Next we see in our passage the time where David leaves. He, he knows, he hears from God, you've got to, they're going to come. They're going to surrender you to Saul. And so David and his men, they flee. 
And so verses 14 through 18, you have this scene in the wilderness of Ziph. David, just to, to remember this, David is from the tribe of Judah. Where he finds himself, these people. So we've got the men of Keilah who betray him. And then at the end of this passage, we have the men of Ziph who betray him. And so I want you to think about that outline. You've got sandwiched in between betrayal, right in the middle, these verses in the woods of Ziph. Now, imagine what David has just gone through after saving these people. And we as the reader are about to hear about the second betrayal. And talk about being at, at the breaking point. God knows exactly what David needs. A friend in time of need. Hear how amazing this is. Saul could not find David because God did not allow him to find David. It points to God's preservation of his own. But Jonathan could. The king's son could find him. It really is remarkable to think about. Saul is pursuing and not able to find him because God will not let him find him. But Jonathan, the one who loves David, he finds him. David is losing himself in the wilderness, but he never escapes the shelter of the Most High. Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David at Horesh. And here in verse 16, and strengthened his hand in God. What an, an oasis Jonathan must have, have made in the wilderness, in the woods of Ziph, with such encouragement. This is what he did. He took David's hand and he placed it in God's. He, he strengthened his brother. And the reason why I can't stop the tears from flowing is because I've watched this body go to our brother and sister and brother and sister and bring that encouragement. A friend in the wilderness. Now you may say, okay, but David's talking to the anointed king. And so there's a, there's, there's a big difference here. We know David is different. He is the anointed king over Israel. So the promises that Jonathan speak to him, yes, they are different. They are from him. God spoke them over his anointed one. And they were used by God to strengthen him at that moment, exactly what he needed, being reminded of the promises of God and to trust God. 
while different from us, there are so many similarities. The Lord Jesus has made many promises to his people that we need to be reminded of. He promised that all who come to him would be saved. He promised he would not lose any of those whom the Father has given him. He promised to raise up his people on the last day. He has promised to grant his people the forgiveness of their sins and the gift of eternal life. And those are the promises that we as God's people take with our brothers and sisters who are broken and remind them and put their hands in God's. It is important for us to see here, Jonathan weds both the physical presence of being with his brother and speaking God's word. Encouragement from God for his children come from the word of God. God knows what we need and when. David needed Jonathan in the woods of Ziph. How necessary to have a friend in time of need. But if it was just up to us to bring hope and comfort to our brothers and sisters, we would fail miserably. Perhaps believers cannot help but seeing here in Jonathan's ministry of encouragement the shadow of a greater than Jonathan. We've been able to see again and again David being a type of the Lord Jesus to come, the anointed one. And even in Jonathan's ministry to David, we see a shadow of the greater Jonathan to come. We've seen at times both of them functioning as, as types of Christ. And there have been many saints who have treasured this passage and remembered that it is the, Lord's Je the Lord Jesus who is a friend who will never leave or forsake them. Andrew Bonner was a, a Scottish minister, and he referred in his diary May 26, 1860, to a visit in the neighborhood of a previous parish that he had served. He wrote this, spent an hour in my old retreat in the wood of Dunsinzane, the place which I used to call the wood of Ziff, where God has often strengthened my hands, my divine Jonathan meeting me there again and again. Jonathan Edwards longed for the same divine Jonathan. When on his deathbed, he asked, now, where is Jesus of Nazareth, my true and never-failing friend? It was this same friendship that the Apostle Paul had and cherished when others left him. 2 Timothy 4, 16-18 At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. 
may it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. We are so blessed here at Grace Covenant Church to have brothers and sisters who who go into the woods of Ziph and care for our brothers and sisters. If you're sitting here this morning and you don't have those friendships, Christ is your steady and sure anchor. That's the importance of the local church. Not only does Jesus strengthen our hand to believe in God, but he is the way to God's love atoning for our sins with his own blood, Jesus is the one that says, he is the better Jonathan. I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is what our friend has done. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. We could spend a lot of time thinking about how this parallels with what Jonathan, leaving the king's side to go and pursue his friend. It's so good. The scene at Horesh closes actually on a very solemn note. Neither David nor Jonathan could know at this time This was their very last interaction on this earth. So David stayed on in Horesh, but Jonathan went to his house. He went home having accomplished his mission. He strengthened his brother's hand in God. Let us remember this. God was the presence David truly needed, and he used an instrument in his hand, Jonathan, to help. So thankful for this friendship that we see in Scripture. I do want us to hear the sad reality of Saul once more. It's a warning for us. Twice in this passage, Saul speaking out of his mouth makes it sound like he is serving God. And doing what is right. In verse 7, in the latter part of that verse, Saul said, God has given him into my hand. In verse 21, out of his mouth, he is speaking the Lord's blessing upon the people who are betraying David. And so thankful for their compassion. All the while, his actions are evil. And yet he is seemingly blind to it. The deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews chapter 3, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This is a sad state of hardening that we have watched before us in Saul's life. 
and the warning, there may be some people that you know, or even you're guilty of yourself, you speak really well, Christianese, all the good things about God when you're around others. But if your heart was laid bare, the motives, what you're doing, maybe even two brothers and sisters in Christ, it would reveal that there is, there is deception. And that is exactly where Satan wants you to be, deceived of your sin, thinking everything is okay, all the while you are running down the road of destruction. May God, by his grace, help us see what Saul is doing and open our eyes if that is us. And then the last scene of our passage, verses 24 through 29. It is quite amazing. I, in reading it, did not do it justice, but this is really climactic, just intense portion of the narrative where there is heavy pursuit. The people have betrayed David. Saul knows his general location and they are on his trail. And where they find themselves is really just a, a rock separating David and his men and Saul and his army. A rock is what's separating David from peril. And we are, we are let in on God's sovereign providence over every moment of everyone's life at exactly the right time a messenger comes to Saul to tell him that he's got to go because the Philistines are on the move in raiding towns and villages he's got to go And that place is called the Rock of Escape. God delivers his servant. Even when it looks like it is going to end in, in destruction, God has made promises and he is bringing them to completion. And we're watching it unfold The Bible reveals that we may find a refuge and safe stronghold in the grace and power of God, even though the people of Keilah, even though the people of Ziph betray and lead the enemy right to our door, the Lord saves and preserves his own. Saul sought David, but God did not give him into his hand. David writing again, what's been so beautiful about digging into 1 Samuel is seeing the Psalms that David wrote about each of the different circumstances and episodes. Psalm 54 is right in the midst of this. I encourage you to go and read it. It's not long, but in it, David writes, Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. We see David turning to God again and again in this passage. Another beautiful verse from a psalm is found in Psalm 50, verse 15. 
and call upon me in the day of trouble. God speaking, I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Every day of trouble is a day where we have an opportunity and privilege of glorifying God. Each and every trouble that comes our way is an opportunity to honor God as we call upon him. We are dependent. He is able to provide all that we need. He is glorified when his dependent children cry out to him. We honor God when we call upon him for help because he does help. When he answers our prayers and works in our lives and in the lives of people that we love and have been praying for, he gets all the glory. When he comforts the mourning or the sick or brings healing to a broken relationship, he gets all the glory because he's the one that does the work. We should follow the advice of John Newton in one of his hymns. It's old English, so it's going to sound a little funny. Come, my soul, thy suit prepare. Jesus loves to answer prayer. He himself has bid thee pray. Therefore, we will not say thee nay. Therefore, we will not say thee nay. Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such. None can ever ask too much. None of us can ever ask too much. When we ask the Lord to work in the midst of our troubles, we give him the glory that he deserves. Let us pray. Father, you have proven yourself trustworthy over and over again. You are the great deliverer. Be merciful to us, O God. Be merciful to us. For in you our souls take refuge. In the shadow of your wings, we will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. We cry out to God Most High to fulfill, to fulfill his purpose for us. He will sin from heaven and save us. He will put to shame him who tramples on us. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. Help us, Father, this morning to strengthen our brother's and sister's hand in God who are struggling now. Use us for your glory and their good, we pray in Christ's holy name. Amen.